0: Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte, exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry, entirely uncut and unscripted.
1: It's that not-so-serious thing that we're doing today. On the podcast, let's rip it. All right, Evan. All right, all right. Okay, all right. You're you're a little bit more relaxed about it than I am. I came in very forceful, <laughs> and you're just like, all right, like like all right, oh okay, okay. Let's, all just, right, let's right, just all right, all right, let's just All right, all right. Cool. Yeah, so I, I, don't know. I guess I'm chill. I, was I didn't mean to. I didn't, I didn't mean to kill your momentum. No, no, no. That's fine. You can yeah. never you can never kill the momentum, bro. Honestly, it wasn't
0: about that. You know what it was? Is that we started the podcast, and I was like do I have everything taken care of? <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of like, all right, all right. right.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. It's like all of the volume off on all yeah. external devices and it was one of those, all of that junk. Yeah. Everything working. Well, I want to right, yeah. get it right, man. I want to get
0: it right.
1: <laughs> and as far as we know, it is all going to plan.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Which is the only plan that we have today, which is for the technology to be doing what it's supposed to be doing. That's right. Um, but otherwise there's no plan for this conversation. It uh, is not so we're, serious. It's not so serious. We're going to talk something, artistry and industry pertaining probably to our lives, mm-hmm. uh, in some way. And, uh, perhaps you will relate mm-hmm. on the other end of this to to the artist's journey (laughs) (laughs) all right all right all right um why don't you tell us about what
0: you were saying this uh video you just watched on consciousness Mm. because i wanted to hear it but
1: also for the sake of time and getting as much recording oh yeah yeah well i mean it's it's uh yeah I, i just would watch this um a video went up on big think and this guy who's like a neuroscientist or something like that and he's uh he did a couple of talks and, and they were both very interesting. I'm trying to remember what the other one was about, but this one was fascinating because he was talking about, um, uh, consciousness. Okay. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a question that, and, uh, and a thing that we know of (laughs) or that we have, that we have identified in some way, um, for many years and it's baffled, it's baffled the great many people is like, what is this thing? Consciousness? What, what even, what is that even? And, uh, and he was basically, and, and I might, you know, be getting some of this wrong. I'll probably have to watch it again, to be honest with you. Cause it's just like one of those things you go huh? like, huh? Like you're kind of like squinting <laughs> while you're like listening and watching it just to go like, okay. Like, I think I'm kind of following, but basically This is like the, of the sort of few things that they've been able to figure out because it's such a tricky thing to talk about. Um, even though we all have an experience of consciousness, Hmm. right. Uh, to, to go like, well, what is it? How can we sort of look at it more objectively to develop an understanding? And it was basically said they figured out that it's actually something that our unconscious does consciousness is kind of like a narrative that our unconscious creates Hmm. because we can create any number of narratives out of, out of things because we like to think, um, because it is in consciousness. We look at everything very uh, on a very linear way. We see a thing having like a direct causality, like this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, A to B, B to C, C to D, right? But that's not actually how th- things necessarily are. Mm. That's just the way that we put them, right? Um, because you only actually see pattern in retrospect. You never actually see pattern as it's happening, that's, right? That's pretty true, actually. And it's yeah. just like, you know, if somebody taps you like he, he gave some example. I won't maybe use that one because that one's, I I'll probably not get that one quite right. But he, um, he says like, Oh, for example, like, I he, he had a, a sentence he said, like, if I said like, um, uh, the, mo- something like the mouse pad, um, is worn out or something. Right. And then we go, Oh, okay. And then we tell this narrative. Oh, the mouse pad is worn out. All right. So we, we put that together. But the thing is that if you just say the mouse, right? Like there's, there's, you don't have the context for it, right? It could be, it could become any number of things, right? Mm. The mouse could be an animal, right? right? You don't, there's, there's nothing. So it's like the rest of it puts it all into, into place. And it all actually has to do with our unconscious mind Hmm. as opposed to, yeah. So consciousness is actually something that like they've as the very sort of, it's still really ambiguous. That's the whole thing about it. He's like, but basically like we've been able to figure like somewhat deduce that consciousness is really just like a story. Hmm. Consciousness is just a narrative that our unconscious puts together kind of for our own entertainment. Hmm. <laughs> that, well that makes sense
0: I mean <clears throat> story is based out of patterning yeah now you're saying that patterning is something we do by hindsight looking in the past we entertain ourselves with our life by telling a pattern ergo a story about yeah. our life and so it's much more interesting to have a story than it is to just have a series of events so in life for us to comprehend a lot of stuff we tell story because story gives meaning, it gives context, it gives relationship character, all of this yeah. stuff. And this is kind of why we're kind of addicted to movies and stuff, because movies take s- actually technically chaos and they make it meaningful. Mm. Right. And so like, like, for example, <clears throat> someone might say, I have abandonment issues because When I was a little kid, my parents left me. Not true. Actually, not actually the truth. But that person decided that because this happened is why they can attach to abandonment issues. Right. But that isn't actually why they have abandonment issues. The reason why they have abandonment issues, a more accurate way to say it was, I stumbled across this idea of abandonment issue and I attribute it to this because you'll accept it as an acceptable way for right. me to be okay with having abandonment issues. Yeah. So socially, I use it as a currency. So you will have empathy and sympathy for me. And there go, I can be abandonment issue person. But mm-hmm. that's not really true. <laughs> At any point, you could decide to not have abandonment issues. Yeah. And you, your past doesn't need to change. Nothing needs to happen. It's simply a detachment from the pattern. Yeah. So it's interesting you bring all this up because like once we practice a story long enough, the story becomes us. Yeah. This is actually something I've been working on a
1: lot. You, you know, the whole thing about the ego and, and, and whatnot. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, in, yeah, it's like, it's, it's interesting. It's like a way of, for us to make sense of things, right? Because we've just, it, we have this weird thing about having to make sense of everything. You know, it's like, why did this happen? Mm. You know, like, you know, you look at like a, you know the news you know the five w's who what where when why Mm. and then how Mm. you throw it at the end right it's just like but it's um all of these things because like yeah it kind of i think drives us crazy to not make sense of things right you know it's this uh which is you know i think there's there's uh absolutely a value in it um but i think that there's also like a a danger in it as well. When you try and <clears throat> yeah, it's do a double edged it. It. It's a double edged Yeah. Leg. I yeah. mean, I went through this whole thing cause I like,
0: I've shared this before I've gone through my, went through kind of a depression and I realized during that period of like confusion and whatnot that if everything was chaos, that there was really no way to function anymore because like he, the part of the reason why human beings can flourish the way they flourish is because of story. I mean, it's okay. Like take caveman, cavewoman situation, right? Yeah. So father caveman goes out father and the cave, father caveman, father caveman goes out, right. And, and hunts and hunts rabbit, right. Hunts rabbit for dinner tonight and, and fetches water and, 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 cave woman goes out to fetch water and pick the berries. Um, and the, uh, siblings, the children's, the whatever, um, basically protect the fort and set up defenses and whatever. And, and each has their role in, okay, so whatever, yeah. this is a family, not a tribe, whatever. It doesn't matter. Irrelevant. So the father goes out to hunt the rabbit, but in the, in the rabbit hunt encounters the bear and the bear hunts him but he comes back maybe without the rabbit. So there's no food for tonight. Now, not having food for tonight because there was the bear. If you just tell it like a bunch of events, it's not quite as emotionally compelling. Mm. So it makes sense that a person would go and amplify the story to tell the story, to tell their expected perspective, to share their experience of it, to express why, why did they not, why did they leave the forest? Why didn't they hunt the bear? Oh, well, you know, I didn't have the tools to fight the bear. I didn't have the spear. I didn't have the things next time tomorrow night. When I go back out, when, when the sunlight rises again, I will bring the spear. I will bring my weapons because I know that the bear is out there. And when I face the bear this time, I will defeat the bear and we will eat the bear. We won't eat the rabbit. And now it becomes this heroic, wonderful story. Yeah. Right. And so it doesn't really matter, but now this informs everyone. Now everybody goes, okay, well, you know, there's meaning, there's bond, there's relationship, there's context. In theory, everything really just happened that you went out of the cave and the bear happened to be where you were, and um, you know, a series of events occurred. The bear did this, you did that, and, and so on. But we tell it as a story because the story gives it actually makes our lives more rich and more fulfilling and more wholesome. The problem is, is when we take story and we use it in a disempowering way where we use it, we start using it as the excuse. Well, now we can't go out and hunt until the bear is gone. Yeah. Now I, you know, we're not eating and we're going to starve to death because of the bear. Well, like that's when we take story and we make it actually, we become the victim of story, mm. but that's when story is misused. But like, regardless story is is powerful. If what I basically function, what I basically realize is we don't really function well under chaos theory. So even though some people believe that everything is still chaos, you'll still find that even someone who like doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in spirit, doesn't believe in anything, doesn't believe, believes everything's chaos and random and whatever, they will still tell story. It doesn't matter. Cross the board. You still tell story. And yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Even, even someone who, who, you know, if you said, somebody who would believe in chaos theory they'll still tell a story about it about why they believe in it yeah it's like well this happened and this happened blah blah blah. it's like you never get away from it it's but yeah it was an interesting thing that basically like this whole thing of like consciousness is basically like consciousness is really just a story right i love that's what they figured out which is like i'm like well that's kind of mind-blowing you know it's just like it's a way of us creating relationship and, and meaning. Um, and I think expression for, for our experience, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't experience things in a, a, in objective way. We just don't, we experience subjectively mm-hmm. and maybe you could explain, uh, <clears> what that means. So for all you folks listening at home or in your car or at the gym or wherever you listen to your podcasting. Um, so like objective is like, think of it as being like the outside looking in, you are observing how things behave in a very sort of, um, factual, physical manner very right. unbiased. Yeah. It's like very unbiased. At least it's, it's kind of supposed to be like, that's how like reporting of the news is supposed to happen kind of thing. Right. Like where if you think of like news anchors or something, they talk about things in a very particular way. They try not to, they just try and re- relay the facts. So it's like, like we said, I, I said just a second ago, like the, the main things in journalism is who, what, where, when, those are really the biggest ones, that's why they're the first ones that in that order. Who? You can easily identify who it was, where it was, when it was, um, what happened, and then although some might, you know, say that that's not quite as <laughs> accurate reporting right. anymore these days, yeah. but what happened, right? You can those things are pretty objective measurements of an event. Um because it's just, they are what they are. Uh, and then when you get into sort of like the why of it, that's when you start dipping a little bit of your toes into the subjective, because the why is a little bit harder to pin down. Like there can certainly be more direct, but there can also be indirect things as to why something occurred. Right. It's but experiential. It's a bit more subjective.
0: Yeah. It's assumptive.
1: Yeah. you know, it's very like, I mean, you have to assert a couple of things in that why that are not necessarily entirely objective. Um, but anyhow, yeah. So like objective, like science is an objective field. Well, supposed it's supposed to, it's supposed to be an objective field where it's just like you, you just monitor and you observe and you report and you try and repeat if that same thing that's, so science is very much in the realm of, Trying to remain entirely objective. Mm-hmm. Um, subjective, really, is the the big key word in that. Is experience that is subjective? Is our personal experience? It's like our opinions, our feelings. Um, these are subjective things because they're not necessarily right or wrong. Is or is not. They're just like they're. We all have them, mm-hmm. and they differ. You say this thing's that thing. The other person says it's the other thing. Right. And you're both talking about the same thing. Uh, that's where we get into things like, you know, where, why people argue about, you know, over politics and, and why people argue over movies or anything that's all subjective based stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but so what we're talking about or what we were just like talking about a second ago is that subject we experience our lives subjectively hmm. we do not experience our lives objectively we can look back on our lives objectively but we cannot live our lives objectively that's just not how we how we function that's not how we roll hmm. we are you know we run on emotions we run on desires we run on you know all of these things. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, um, it's always like this sort of, but they're sides to the same coin. Well, even And and the thing about subjective too, is
0: like, even your perspective, like where you sit in the room you're in is somewhat now a subjective experience of the room, because you could sit somewhere else in the room and you would have a new experience of the room. And so you don't really have an objective experience of the room Mm -hmm. in many ways. Like Uh, objectivity from experience point of view would be to be everywhere at once. It would be to be almost like a godlike situation where you see every single possible infinite Mm -hmm. perspective at the same time. So from the human being point of view, we can do objective, like with numbers and with kind of equations based on time, space, matter, situation,
1: and and physical observation. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: but when it comes to experimental, it becomes to perception. We have Uh, obviously it's just infinite possibility. There's no, there's no equation for that anymore. It's just not, it's not, um, at least in this, in this life that we live in, in a physical world, there is no possibility of it. There's a, we, we imagine almost like, when some people talk about God or something like that, they almost talk about God as having an objective point of view because God could see, imagine everything. If there was a God, I'm not saying there is. I'm not even saying I believe that, but I'm saying if there was, we have this, at least all in our minds, whether we believe in it or not, we could imagine the possibility of a God. Not to say that you believe in it, not to say that it it could be crazy to you, but you could imagine the possibility of a God that could see everything every single perspective, even perspective that no human being has ever seen from or ever could see from. And that could be infinite. And Mm. so like when you start to like venture into that, you start to realize, well, okay, now I have this. I think what makes consciousness so interesting is that you kind of see how small your consciousness is of the whole. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, this is my version of the ride. And that's kind of cool because yeah. that's something to own, but not something to try and force on everybody else, but to see it as totally unique. And that's the artistry of consciousness. Yeah. You know, it's th- because if we had see- if we were godlike and we could see every perspective, we wouldn't really need art anymore because someone was explaining to me, they were telling me about this book they were reading. And they were saying that there is this point where the author describes a painting and never tells you what the painting is. Although it's a very famous painting. And they just tell you what it looks like throughout the whole book and Mm. or through the chapter or whatever it is. And it isn't until later in context, if you like look into the book that you can tell exactly the painting they're describing, but never once does the author tell you the painting. Yeah. And they said it was mind blowing when they realized what had just happened because Mm -hmm. this author really gives you an experience of something that you should quote, unquote, know. Right. So that's really cool. Right. So like, that is how I think we share our subjective experience and we open up each other's minds. And that's where the art exists because yeah. the moment we make art objective, like truly full perspective, objective, all of a sudden it kind of becomes like, it's okay, but it's only yeah. used like it's a tool. You don't want to use it a hundred percent of the time. Like
1: yeah. once in a while, it's like you, you think of like, um, you know, like read like a Robert Frost poem mm. or something, you know, it's like, there's, like anyone who does great, um, great sort of nature poetry and stuff like there'll be a, be a, or not necessarily even that, just like any author who's really uses beautiful language or, and is great at describing things because there's a blend of objective and subjective within it Mm. because it's like, okay, there, there's this description of this scene. There's a description of this, of this environment, of this place that they're in. And so you're given things like the grass, the trees, the river, the mountains. You sound <laughs> like Obama. <Yeah. laughs> the mountains, the from sea to shining sea. Uh, but anyhow, like you, there's, but even there from sea to shining sea, right? Like it's just like, the, the C to C it's like, okay, well I know what C is, but the shining is kind of the subjective part of it, you know, right. or, or I guess it could still be in the objective room, but anyhow, there are things that are, that are somewhat objective, like almost like the nouns, I suppose, person, place, thing, it identifies something that we, we all know. It's like, okay, I've seen grass before, I seen grass, but then the artistry and the subjectivity is then what they're doing with how they're describing that grass. Hmm. Right. Because now that grass is being described in a way that gives you an experience of it. Right. it's just like, there's, there's, you know, they're, they're describing like, yes, like the, the color of it, maybe the feel of it, the, but there's a, it's that whole sort of why they're telling you about about it being that way. Hmm. It's that, um, there's something else that's going on underneath it. That's entirely subjective. It's the feeling, it's the emotion, it's the idea that's being communicated that makes it important. It's like, well, why do we give a shit about the grass? Right. And they're saying like, well, here's why we should give a shit about the grass. And it's then becomes this artful, expressive, subjective thing. Hmm and you can agree with it or you can disagree with it. You can go, I fucking hate grass. Right. (laughs) I hate it. Maybe you're allergic. I know people who are allergic to grass. Right. But
0: (laughs) it's interesting. You know, I was actually listening to a talk last night about like psychedelics and, um, the speaker was talking about, um, there was someone who was very famous, I suppose, um, for doing this exercise, which was, you do, I think 3.5 or five grams of mushrooms or something. And you go off in the dark, in a dark room, in a safe environment, but in darkness Ooh. and you do the, you do your trip, but it's in the darkness, total darkness, no context of anything other than you have a bed, but whatever that's, but basically you hit a point of, um, you know, detachment essentially from your world. But he, this guy, um, because there's, and, and, and honestly, like this isn't, you don't want to do this with just anything. He was explaining that there's a certain type of psychedelic you can do. It's a plant-based thing where you can't really overdose on it. It's, you can take as much as you want. It won't poison you. Right. Some stuff will. And he kind of, he, 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 he talks about how people should not run off and just go do anything. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. but if you're going to go do a psychedelic, he's like, the thing is, I realized with this, he's like That you could do is in a sense this much of it and it still wouldn't poison you. You'd still be okay, but it would really give you like a crazy wild trip. You'd really detach. Yeah. But he did 40 grams or something like that. 30 or 40 grams of this stuff in the dark. So it's like, you know, substantially a lot more like six, seven, eight times, 10 times more than what the highest person had ever done. Yeah. He's talking about it and he's saying that what ends up happening is you lose context of, like he uses this really great example. He says, you know, there's um in in like reality is kind of like you're on the you're on the beach. You're on the beach and you're playing in the sand and you can see the water. You can go dip your toe in the water every now and then if you want, but you know, it's all there. Um doing like a little bit of like a psychedelic is kind of like, okay, you're going out into the water, you're kind of wading around, but you can see the shore is nearby. You kinda have context to the shore and a little bit more, you're a little farther. We can still see land, but then he talks about this. He's like, this is like Navy SEAL. This is like, they drop you in the middle of the ocean in the darkness and you got to swim and you only know how to get there. Maybe by navigation, you just know that somewhere out there is land, but you're in the deep dark sea alone. Right. And you're, you're in the area. He also compares it to like, imagine they towed you into a giant, like 50 foot wave. Like the only way you can get in there is to be towed in and then you're surfing it all of a sudden. Right. And you know, so he talks about it like this and he raised a really interesting point. Cause he said, you know, there's, <clears throat> we have reference points. He's like, he talked about like doing psychedelics and going off into the trees and you can kind of relate that there's trees and whatever, and you know what a tree is. And so you're in context of a tree, but he's like, this is like, without any of that, this is like, you are in almost another universe at this point. Mm. And time he's like, becomes irrelevant in certain ways. Like 15 minutes can seem like almost like days. Mm. And so, the interesting, the thing that was so interesting to me about this whole talk was that it really, so someone, uh, there's this talk online. I, I don't know where it is or how to find it, how to link yeah. it, but someone asked someone about God. And uh, again, I'm not saying like, I necessarily believe in God or whatever, but I like the idea that this person mentioned, mm-hmm. which they said, you know, the computer was created, but there's no man inside the computer running around, putting your numbers where they need to go, you know, doing your spreadsheets. Like the computer is running itself, but the person who created the computer, this amazing thing is off living life or they're dead and gone, but the computer exists and it runs itself. It is a machine and a system in and of itself. Meanwhile, the God who created it in a sense is off somewhere else in the world. And so The computer is just a micro universe of the universe in which it is in. So, you know, when you start to look at philosophy, right, and you start to look at all these ideas, you start to go, well, who's to say that our world is not just the computer inside of another universe? Like, who's Mm -hmm. to say, right? And so the God is not necessarily the end all be all God that we think, but the creator of what it might be, if that is even if it is even in that context of what Mm -hmm. it might be. It, it's kind of like um, we see our world as though we are inside the computer, so whatever the computer looks like, we base everything we know on the, on the computer. What I find is really interesting is when you start thinking about, okay, what if something existed beyond what I think I know, beyond the physical world of time, space, and matter? And that's basically what he points out. He says, like the computer, in many ways, exists beyond time space and matter but we only can 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 see and fathom the world within time space and matter but he said like what if there is another part of the equation what if there's like a fourth part of the equation but we don't even factor that in because we can't even comprehend it because we're inside the computer essentially right right not to say that we and I, and I want to make this clear too like not to say that we are just a computer like not to say we're simulation but that we just don't—we're missing a major component of the puzzle, and so the whole puzzle just is like we can't have the context of the greater thing. Yeah, I well, find this really interesting because it kind of like uh, you know we're going down crazy corner. I know right away like today we just decided yeah. to go down a crazy corner. That's crazy right. corner. I like crazy corner. I like philosophy though. I like the idea of thinking yeah. about what's beyond because I think yeah. it takes a lot of the things that we make so important and we stress out about in our life today. Like it kind of makes you kind of go, well, like maybe this isn't really like that big of a deal. And I think that's a good thing to do because like, as I was sharing earlier in the conversation, I've shared on earlier podcasts, I went through a kind of depression. I've gone through it kind of twice, you know, for brief periods in my life. And, um, mostly it's just about taking life too seriously. It's about making mm. this too big of a deal you know? Yeah. And like, now I look back and I think about like all oh, the relationship that ended or the show that didn't work out or the friends I quote unquote lost or realized I never had in the first place. Like now I look back at that and I go like the like, big deal, whatever, like that doesn't matter. And that's like so small in comparison to what my life is now. But at the time it was massive you know, like when you're in high school, the problems you deal with in high school seem like the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. And then you grow, get out of high school, you go to college or you become an adult and you're like shit in high school was like nothing. Yeah, so It was like no big deal. But at the time from perspective seemed massive to us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean our, and when we carry it around with us, like our past can seriously rob us of our present. Right. Right. Like it can seriously rob us from our present. Um, man yeah this went down into crazy corner <laughs> like but uh, no i i you really like dig it and i, I it? do really love crazy corner i love this this shit this is what i spend like this is what i do in my off time because <laughs> i contemplate this stuff but i mean i i think that these are important conversations for artists to be having because who else is supposed to like artists i think are supposed to be people who express this kind of stuff we're supposed to be people who dive into these types of things um we're not just entertainers. And if you're just an entertainer, then you're just an entertainer. Yeah. You know, that's fine. That's cool. But like, I think that artists dive into, into like all kinds of muck, yeah. you know, and explore some shit. We explore, you know, we, because we're, we're communicators about, of, 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 of life and experience. And so to, to go down some of these rabbit holes as it were, I think is, is kind of part of what our job entails. I think so. Yeah.
0: I think if you want to tap into the potential of your artistry to the potential of, you know, profound play, I'd like to call it, you, you need to be willing to venture into philosophy. You need to be willing to venture into the idea that you can go down a rabbit hole knowing you will never find the answer. But just that you're curious enough to yeah. keep going as far down that rabbit hole as and you to can, to ask the question, just to find out yeah. more about the rabbit hole. Yeah. And, and like we're ta- we're in we're in a we're in a time, I would say, a time in life where people are kind of indoctrinated into believing that the only pursuits worthwhile are the ones that have a finish line. Mm. Yeah, and I'd like to suggest that those are usually the most meaningless pursuits. The most meaningful pursuits are the ones where you know they're infinite and you know that you will never get to the answer, but that you will come to a kind of what I would call a kind of solace, a kind of peace, knowing you'll never know. And that is the the finish line. It's kind of an internal finish line. It's like the answer was within you the whole time, but you had to push yourself so far out of the realm of what you think you know that you could find a completion and an acceptance inside yourself. Yeah.
1: You know, one of, I mean, a a figure who everybody knows because of how important he was, Albert Einstein. Mm. And I love so much of like, he's one of the most quotable people for reasons that people might not expect. And for a a person whose mind figured out so many objective stuff about the universe, Mm um, and physics and, and how things work, you know, like who came up with theories and concepts that they're just now like being able to confirm that they're true. Like after all of these years, they're just finally able to be like, yeah, he was right. Hmm. We've pretty much confirmed everything that he said. Hmm. Um, but he has this one quote and I'm going to paraphrase it here, but it was, it was, like, if it's like the person who cannot, look out into the world and stand wrapped in awe and wonder is dead. Mm. You know, that to paraphrase, that wasn't exactly how he said it, but you know, I, I always just love that for a person who you'd think of like a scientist, they work in, you know, a certain kind of way. Yeah. And he had this understanding of just like, yeah, like I've figured some stuff out, you know, like about how this sort of reality works. Um, but still being like, but there's so much I don't know, you know, like I stand here in complete in complete awe and wonder of everything that goes on. Like it's like, and I think that that's kind of part of the, um, it's kind of part of the trick of life, you know, just to, to be able to, to do that, you know, and be okay with what you don't know. Yeah. I mean,
0: it, cause it's, cause what you don't know is scary. The unknown is scary. You know, there's, um, like the thing about Einstein that a lot of people don't realize this is that, and it's not mentioned enough in art, like in art history and stuff, it's always like referred to in science. So people think of Einstein as a scientist, but Einstein in many ways was more of an artist than he was a scientist. Mm. It's just that he didn't necessarily do art the way that like sculptures and paintings and things he did art with with math, with science. Yeah. And then people like the thing about, um, Einstein that people don't understand is like, Oh, Einstein was a genius. He was ways ahead above all these other scientists. Here's an interesting thing. He was an artist. If you listen to his quotes, if you read, go look up Einstein quotes, you know, I'm going to call everyone mm-hmm. out to go do that. Go start looking those up. You'll start to see how much artistry was in his awareness in his conscious, like Mm -hmm. how much he he bucked the system. The reason I believe he was a genius was because he incorporated art into the science, into the objective. He incorporated imagination. And so he believed that everybody was a, you know, was a genius. he He didn't, he didn't have an ego. He wasn't like, I'm a genius and
1: you're all not, you know? Yeah. He had that famous quote about like, you know, if you told like a fish to climb a tree or something like that, like if genius was based on, you know, certain things. So yeah, he's something like if, if um, all animals were based on how well they
0: could climb a tree, only the monkey would be a genius or something like that. You know, something like that. Yeah. It
1: was, yeah. To that effect.
0: I don't know. But regardless, I mean, actually on the, if you guys are interested and you want to go do this, go to the, the B and E, Um, podcast where artistry meets industry, Facebook fan page. And we have quotes, picture quotes on there and they're called artist wisdoms. And there's a couple Mm. Einstein ones on there. And, and, you know, we post them every like few weeks, we'll find some quotes and we'll post them on there. And there's lots of great stuff in there. And they're all just famous quotes that artists throughout history have said. Yeah very profound things that we, you know, have encountered along our way. And they're informing a lot of these talks that we're having. Yeah. So, you know, I would call everybody out to go do that and like, um, you know, go to that page and just, or go to, go to our Tumblr account where they are as well. But on the Facebook fan page, which is kind of cool is there's pictures that are literally under artist wisdoms. Mm. So you can just go and look at these artist wisdoms under our collection. And it's always growing, always evolving kind of thing. But, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, that, that I think that's the thing is this talk. Like I think, nah, I don't know. This sounds kind of crazy in a certain way, but I think part of the thing is us having these talks where artistry meets industry is we're trying to help people marry their genius together. Mm. Cause like, if you can only navigate industry, you know, that's pretty easy. If you can only navigate art in some ways, that's kind of easy. But if you can find a way to find balance between both of them, to have the mind that can interrelate them and find the, the relationship and the, and that, you know, which I'm not saying that we know how to do, but at least we're venturing on the discussion of it. I've unlocked certain geniuses in myself. The, the some of the the things that I've been able the conversations I've been able to enter, the thought that I've been able to have since we've been having these talks has been profound. Mm-hmm. Because we're constantly balancing the two of them, right? But it's so easy to just do one or the other. I mean, like
1: if life was just, you know, so simple as just do one thing. Yeah. I think I mean the thing is like we're we're in some ways what we're trying to do on the show is to just stumble upon wisdoms. Yes. Because really it's like, you know, we're just bouncing ideas off of each other. And it's like, does that sound right? Uh, that sounds a kind of about like, like, yeah, that sounds kind of right. Like, and then we'll, we'll go. And it's, it's a weird kind of an experience because sometimes there's no necessarily any real reason I can think of as to why I go, yeah, that's right. Like, it's just, you just go, yeah, like that sounds like that. There's something that's just right about it. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how, how else to put it, but it's just, and, and you start to, to just enter into the idea, you enter into the thought, you follow it and you follow it and you follow it and you follow it and you see where it takes you. Right. And you can come to some sort of an understanding about something. Absolutely. Like you brought
0: up this talk you listened to, right? So you bring up this talk about consciousness, which I never saw. And you have an interpretation of it and you bring it in and I go, yeah, that's interesting. Cause two, three years ago I did the story class where we talked about patterning yeah. and now I'm relating it to this talk that you just had, but now you're bringing in a different context, but you're bringing a totally different perspective and insight and, and different objective, even bringing it up. Like yeah. for me, I had the objective of trying to understand story and bring it to like, how do I teach people how to write a screenplay? But now we're bringing it in further. And I think this is kind of Like what I, what I keep discovering with these talks that we have is that you can look at something and you kind of know it, but you only know it from one perspective. And every time we do a talk, it's like, I'm seeing the same thing, but now that I see it from a different perspective, I can see more holistically what it is. I'm not saying I can see it completely, but I can see it more holistically, Mm -hmm. more full. And actually like, just to relate this back to story, um, if you take a round character in a story, there's flat characters and round characters the thing about a round character is what you want to do if you want to tell a great story is you design your story so that you can see the character from a different perspective at times. So for example, if it's an action hero who's saving the world and stopping the bomb from going off and killing the terrorists, you also show a scene with that person with their child or with their wife yeah. or with the, you know someone they care about, some emotional thing. And then you get to see them from another perspective and you see that they're a much more whole person and that makes them full and round. But if you do um, an action story and you don't show that other perspective, what ends up happening is a round character that may have even been well developed becomes flat anyway. Because we need more than one perspective often on the same thing before we can ever understand it, or even have come close to understanding it. Yeah, I think that's why Einstein was so brilliant because he looked at things from different perspectives than just the scientific direction. Yeah. I think that's why. And then people are baffled. Like, how did he do it? Well, it's like, you know, you use your imagination. You venture outside of the box. You venture outside of yeah. the obvious.
1: And he was also famous for saying that imagination was, was more important to knowledge. Right. So take that. So take that. How do you like this beer, sir? Oh, I've been loving this beer. I know it's going on it's so quick. so good. <laughs> and, um, Oh man. and, uh, so as soon as you, you poured this, I was like, look at this cloudy beast. Yeah. Right here. So I immediately go, this is like, this is a wheat beer of some kind. Wheat beer, huh? A wheat beer, like a half okay. of it. One of those, those types of things, the cloudy nature of it. And also, um, because of the citrusy nature of it, um, I will not say it's a white ale. Cause usually those have like, kind of like a really, like a, like almost like a coriander or something or like going on with it. So, you know, maybe I'll say, say this is maybe leaning more towards like a half, okay. but, um, but definitely citrus, like there's grapefruit, like i get a strong hit of grapefruit in this bad boy. Uh, it's delicious. Delicious. Yeah. That's exactly how I was going to describe it.
0: And it's going down so quick. I feel like I could just drink this like all day, especially yeah. on this hot day. Yeah. I mean, super tasty goes down quick it's easy it's got like some body to it too which is kind of
1: cool just hit it's just this is patio beer for like but when you want something that's like gonna tantalize the taste buds too that's not just gonna be you know yeah stuff that goes down well you know i don't because it'll give you that but it'll give you a little a little bit more for your money for your money (laughs) so Um, What are we drinking? I didn't really know much about this beer, um,
0: myself, but this is a Bellingham from Bellingham, Washington, Bellingham. So it, it, uh, craft brew. So we're out of, we're in another state and it is, sir. It is an India pale ale. What? I know. I know and it's 6.7 alcohol, which it doesn't taste like at all. No, not at all. (laughs) You You just blown my mind right now. There's a whole bunch of surprises. So it's called batch 15 and it's from Aslan Brewing Co. Aslan Brewing Co. Nice Narnia
1: reference there. Yeah. And they got the picture of a a lion. Look (laughs) beautiful. Like it is. Yeah. It does have a hop, but the hop is really masked in it. Yeah. I know. I like know. It's what you just mean. hiding underneath there. Like I am like, I do pick up it now that knowing that it's an IPA. Cause I never, I didn't drink it and go, Whoa, this is hoppy. Like it was just like, Whoa, this is citrusy and like refreshing. I think if you
0: wanted to enter into an IPA, like if you like traditionally don't like hoppy beers, but you want to kind of get into it, maybe you like Hefeweizens and stuff and like lagers and whatnot, maybe like the, uh, yeah. the ale, this is like the perfect entry beer into it. Like they did it, they, they did this masterfully, and this was an expensive one. Like, like compared to all the other beer options, like yeah. this was, you know, 25% more like, you know, yeah. but more alcohol, delicious taste. So I, I'm, I'm actually glad I spent the extra bucks and went and got it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like I highly recommend this. Is hey, one of,
1: this has been one of my faves. Actually. And you know what I like about their logo? their their branding on here too so you got the line on the front and on the back is is the back of them but it looks like that's like what hops looks like oh that's actually what hops looks like it's very cool yeah oh wow very
0: clever oh it's also um organic
1: apparently no that's nice yeah so what does anyway it, does it have any other descriptive details on it? They, they didn't really describe much. They they put a little government warning like don't drink
0: when you're <laughs> pregnant and uh, you know, consumption of alcohol beverages impairs your ability to drive. But you know yeah. but they didn't really describe their beer with any like kind of uh, descriptives other than India Pale Ale, six point seven percent alcohol, batch fifteen, aslan brewing co. So i suggest you uh,
1: oh there's more yes sir, uh, well, yes, sir. there's oh, lots yes. more let's still uh, you t- top it up all, all right i'm going I'll open to another oh, open another. Brew. oh my goodness we're gonna this might be another one of those ones where we're just slurring it's been a long time since we've just started slurring <laughs> well, well, that's why of the conversation. you know that's
0: why it's good we got uh we got a <laughs> crazy corner out of the way
1: yeah crazy. Is it, is it over though or is this entire like, episode of just a crazy corner could be the beginning to be the um, beginning of wonderful but things, sir. What, uh, what seems to be happening today that I'm observing. Okay. <laughs> objectively, um, is there seems to be a lot of uns that we're talking about here. Uns? What do you mean by uns? So, you know, we start off talking about this, this talk that I saw and it was this guy talking about what is, you know, what is consciousness And basically from the whatever research they've been able to do is they've been able to go that consciousness is actually just a narrative from our unconscious Mm. for essentially, I, I think he even used a word like this, but like he used a word like for our entertainment or for our like, like just for us to enjoy. Essentially, um, and then this whole thing of unknown came up. So we're, we're talking about these uns, these the the. And I think, I mean, I know I've talked, we've talked about the unknown on this podcast before, and how absolutely essential that is. And in fact, it was the whole concept of the unknown that completely transformed me in whatever I thought about my acting um from uh, my teacher Larry Silverberg who he had started planting these sort of seeds in us and it's like and I still just go like oh my god (laughs) I should send him like I got to send him an email one of these days and just be like, you're fricking brilliant, man. Cause like, I'm still like unraveling so much of the stuff that you were like, you know, not that he was like telling us this is what it is, but he was just like planting seeds for these things. And, and, and the unknown was something that he had done from the very first day. He had just planted this little seed of just like we dive into the unknown hmm. and I didn't really necessarily understand what that means it sounded really nice but when you actually have an experience of diving into the unknown that's where the artistry happens and that's where the creation happens is through going beyond what you know
0: right
1: and it requires you to just kind of feel your way through it. It's like this story that you are telling from that, that one, one guy who was, did a ton of psychoactives yeah. and went into a dark room, right? Which is, man, that's, that is nuts to me. Like that's like, whoa, that's crazy. People like go into, um, uh, what do they call them? Like like chambers where there's no you know you can't see anything you can't hear anything like there's no a sensory deprivation chambers right and with under no influence of anything and people start to to hallucinate stuff yeah like after a certain point your mind just starts to make things happen it, you know, I, I thought about this. Oh, I didn't mean to cut. Yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, on. so... But, like, it's it's like this, like, and, and, you know, he had that, and I was just like, you're being dropped in the middle of the ocean and with, you know, only maybe a vague sense of where to go. Um, and through that process, and it can be terrifying, mm-hmm. it can be exhilarating, it can be so joyful. You know, there's all sorts of things that it can be, and you eventually reach the shore again, having had this experience. But the only way for you to have had that experience was to lose sight of the shore, right? To not have any idea what the hell was going to happen to throw out any idea of what you think is going to happen. And for me, when I started to have, when I actually had an experience of that, and it's interesting because right now I, am I, um, well, I had just finished going through um, some, some like work stuff that I, that I had for creating sort of the new copy for the website for my school. And so there was all these questions being asked of like, how do you want to communicate what's going on? And so one of the things that it took me, it was really interesting. It said, it says like, what was your lowest point? Like what was your, your lowest point, your darkest moment where you went, something needs to change. Right. And then it was like, and then the next question was, and it's like, and then what was the thing? What, where was the light at the end of the tunnel? Right. What happened? Right. And, and so it was interesting to go through that story for myself of totally. like, yeah, like what was my low point as an actor and what was going on for me? And then to go, and then what was the light? And so it was just like, you know, it was, I'm like, and I can't remember super specifically, but I can remember like an image generally of, of where it was. And I was in the middle of doing a scene in front of, you know, my classmates and there was me and my scene partner and we were just, and we were just staring at each other and I was just livid, like really actually emotionally livid with them. And there was dead silence. I just remember there was dead silence. We were just staring at each other. The audiences wasn't making a making a noise. And I was going, "I have absolutely no idea what the fuck is going to happen now."." Mm. And then we just kept going, right And it was just like the most exhilarating thing that I'd connected with as an actor. Maybe it was a reconnection or maybe it was a brand new connection for me, but just being like, wow, that was when that whole thing of the unknown, how important that is really started to take root in me Hmm. for me to see the value of it, not just as an actor, but as an artist of any of any kind is, is the value of stepping into that unknown of letting go, of having nothing to hang on to, having no sense of where you are, hmm. and what can what can come out of that.
0: Hmm.
1: That's really great. That's
0: awesome. I want to do those question sets. By the way, okay, yeah, yeah. Please send them over. Will um, I will. Yeah, you know this whole thing about letting go of the shore and having no context of like that was another thing he was talking about he was like letting go of context like because you know he's talking about wandering the trees for example he was saying like we got context there right and i think so much of life is context like we 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 don't really ever let go because we're always hanging on to an idea of something we think we already know and um i'm not saying that people should go run off and do this and i haven't done it so i'm not saying that this is the answer but i could try on his perspectives and his ideas and i could say that like one thing that I've kind of found is that by letting go of certain things, I think I know, it's definitely freed me up and it's opened up the door to, um, what I'd call a really wonderful experience of existing in life. Mm. And I would wish that upon everybody. I would wish that everybody at some point in their life could experience experiencing and the joy of simply being fucking alive, Mm. which I, I have only known briefly and I've had moments of knowing it. And I would say the closest thing I ever known to this experience was like being in the zone in a sport or like tapping into some kind of deep rooted thing, you know, emotionally enacting or filmmaking, or it's like, kind of like, you're not even really conscious. You're kind of unconscious and you're like, uh, you know you're you're alive and you're this like enriched but yeah. you, you don't
1: know how yeah well like yeah like you in sports they 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 say that it's like you've you're in the zone right yeah. is a sports is a sports reference to when this thing kind of happens um in in art we might say everything was flowing mm. right well and and yeah, there the is also a, yeah. in the state of flow yeah that's yeah. kind of like I feel like that almost has like a different connotation to it but like in in art you like oh everything was just flowing through me you know we'll say some shit like that right and and the zone or in, in enacting yeah. um, the you know the sort of the epitome that everybody strives for losing is the term lose yourself yeah. oh i lost myself right and we talk about losing ourselves like i fucking lost who i am entirely yeah like and we go how amazing that's why i think that it's like man it's just like we deal in weird shit yeah. as artists like <laughs> yeah. when we talk about like when actors talk about that I'm like you realize that that's like that's like what mystics fucking do man like yeah. it's like you lost yourself we're talking about like like ego death my entire identity of who i thought it was was gone and i experienced life as someone one or something else Yeah. Do you know, like, it's just like, like fucking mind blown, right? It is mind blowing. I mean, the biggest thing, I mean, the the fact that we can do that, the fact that we can have that experience and you go, how is that even possible? But it is possible, right? We touch upon it sometimes.
0: It's incredible. You know, it's, uh, and I was sharing this with you before, but like uh, offline, I think, but like, you know, the big thing that I heard this Ted talk and and they were talking about how we, we our confusion is that we're grateful. We we use gratitude. Like we, everybody kind of goes, Oh yeah, be grateful. You know, grateful. It leads to kind of joyful happiness, whatever. But the problem is, is in Western culture, particularly we're grateful for our things. We're grateful for, I have a TV, I have a nice place. I, I, I am better off than those people in the third world country who can't Mm. eat but this isn't real judgment. This isn't real gratitude. This is like surfacey, shallow gratitude that only lasts temporarily. And then a lot of people start going, well, you know, I did the gratitude thing for a while and it didn't really work. So I stopped. And this um, woman was talking about, which I also don't remember this talk, unfortunately, you know, but whatever, I'll give you the best just I can. And it's profoundly shifted my life, Mm -hmm. which she said, you want to be grateful for being alive in and of itself for existing for being someone who has imagination and creativity and the ability to choose and and define and be dynamic in your life that's gratitude that will never go away that's an investment that only appreciates all this materialistic gratitude that we use is all depreciative gratitude. Yeah. So um, the big, the big thing I took away was like okay, well, let's say I get my nice new car, which is something I'm going to do eventually here. Um I'm just a matter of timing. It's like okay, do I want to buy it now or do I, you know, do I really need a car right now? Maybe I'll get in a little bit. Yeah, also I'm waiting for the year to turn so I can get the newest version. Right. Whatever, <laughs> regardless, I have my reasons. But I look at it and I go okay, well, I'm going to like to get in my car. That's going to be a really great moment in my life. But also like I look at it and I go, um, that car will depreciate. And over time that car will become less and less wondrous. Yeah. And eventually I will probably want a new car. I mean, just given enough time, it will deteriorate into nothing. Yeah. Um, and so, um, the problem with being grateful for a thing is that it's a it's a losing stock it is going down and and also what happens is perspective changes you know i'm at a point in my life where making money and accumulating wealth is a lot easier i also gotten myself and set myself up where i can do more of that now a lot easier yeah so what happens when I start to get all the materialistic things I want? Then I want more materialistic things, higher, nicer, higher taste, finer tastes. Yeah. Now, eventually I need more. And so what ends up happening with the gratitude of things, the gratitude of um, material items, status, and image are all losing battle. So what I've learned to do is to be grateful for being like this being of light, Mm. to be this, this, I'm this energy force that can be imaginative, creative, that is alive, that can choose, that can decide to get a car or not get a car. That is exciting. But getting the car is not that great. The decision that I made, the light that lit up inside me to go do that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And so this was the, this was a profound shift for me. And I, I um, You know, I will eventually um, dig up this talk again. I will venture back into my archives of however the hell I found it. Um, And I I, I kind of have an idea of where I located it. So whatever, I'm just not going to mention it at the moment, but I will figure it out. So keep tuning in and we'll share it eventually Mm -hmm. because I'm sure I'll mention it again. But once I heard that talk, I was like, that's it. I've been doing gratitude incorrectly. I've been going after things and status and image. And I realized that it needs to be For it to be effective and long lasting and appreciative needs to be something that is inside of me. It needs to be in, in that being of light that I am, whatever that is, that's energizing me, that's informing my existence. And if I can be grateful for that, it will never matter where I am. I could be third world poverty, or I could I could have all the wealth in the world. But I will have gratitude for being alive. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. I think a lot of people get all these material things. They get all the status. They get the fame as an actor or director or whatever. And they're not happy, and they're snorting cocaine up their nose and shit because they're trying to feel good. Yeah. And it's because you're not grateful for being alive. Yeah. But like, whether you did like, and I'm not saying like. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really judgmental, but the thing is, is like, if people go do these things, even if you snorted cocaine or hit heroin or did something, I'm not saying go do that, but you did it from the fact that you were being of light that could, that's a much better place to come at it from, but you probably wouldn't do it because there's a high from being a being of light. You don't need, you don't need things to, to do that anymore. Yeah. You know, and that's the, you know, I mean, you know, what's interesting too. And just my last note on this mm-hmm. is as we've done this podcast, it's been over a year of us podcasting two years, really yeah. something, right? Uh, I've gone through so much personally for me to have gotten here to where I am now to venture through where I was when we started this and what I was going through. And what I went through, I just think that's profound to me that I shifted and changed my life. I actually changed my life. I mean, I had a friend who, um, I have a friend, I should say. And she said to me, she said, man, like when I met you, you were like the fucking guy. Like you were the guy that got everyone together. You just had this energy, this excitement. And she's like, I noticed like you're down, you're dimmed. You're like, you know, and, and we just kind of got a heart to heart about it. And it was not a very, it wasn't a judgmental thing. It was just like a friend to a friend kind yeah. of like I know this has happened. She knew the hardships I went through. She knew what I went through. And we talked and they shared and she said, and then I saw her again, like, cause I only see her every now and then she's not in, in this um, country. And so she said, something's changed in you. You've like, like you've litten up again, like, you know, and this was yeah. a while back. And then she's noticed I've been lighting up. I've been like, like igniting again. And I don't make the dark period wrong. I don't make that bad anymore. Mm-hmm. For a while I did, but necessary for me to kind of kind of go through that so I could find what I found now which is a gratitude for being alive a gratitude for this energy inside of me this light inside of me I like to call it um but I had to kind of go through the darkness the dimness to see what this light meant so I guess I would I guess I'm sharing this because I want to share this with people because I feel like as artists we all at some point go through a dimness. I mm-hmm. feel like our flame is kind of kiboshed and kind of like dampened and it's still alive in us. That's why we still think about it. And I want to tell you anybody who's there, or if you are in the beginning of your journey, that you may go through this. And I just want to kind of prepare you and say like, that's so good. Like when you're there, just know that it's so meant to be that way. Yeah. Cause this is what you need so that when you light back up, you'll know context.
1: And I would even argue that yes. it's like, if you can have a certain context of how it, that actually kind of is part of the light. Yes. You know, it's like, it's, it's part of, you know, like the, we did one on a a talk on seasons, but it's kind of like part of, you know, a season that you are personally in, you know, that it's like you, this, yeah, no, this is where you're at. And it feels kind of shitty and it feels like nothing is working, but when you start to work with what you have and with what's going on, you start to see some profound things out of it. You start to get some extraordinary growth out of it. Uh, you, do re- you don't have to say? Yeah. I'll read, I'll all right. Read, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> um, book? I haven't ref- referenced this book in some time, but uh, uh, Care of the Soul by Thomas Moore and he talks about uh he has this one chapter in that book where and he likes to use a lot of like old like he stories like greek mythology and whatever because like there's all sorts of like really profound wisdom in them Hmm. and there's this one goddess who has this daughter and she keeps her daughter like protected and safe and like, just like, just keeps her in this little bubble, right? Of innocence and beauty and all, you know, all of these things. And then, uh, Hades, I can't remember if he gets into conspiracy with Zeus on this, but he's just like, I'm going to take her. <laughs> he's just like, I'm going to grab her kind of thing, basically. And he does he grabs her one day when she's like out in the forest or something, takes her into the underworld and the mother, the goddess, she's just fucking livid. She is so upset about all of this. And so Hades keeps her, he keeps her safe, but you know, with him in the underworld. And eventually after some time goes by, the goddess is like, taken a mortal form she's like sacrificed things to try and get her daughter back she gets her daughter back and and hades allows this he says yeah okay like but i get her it was something like i get her it was something like two days out of the week she has to return kind of thing so she was allowed to come back out and there's also something like there's like this image or like a symbol of like a seed that is like placed underneath her tongue that is always with her or something and it's like this so this whole story is about how it's actually kind of necessary to go into these places because she returns and she's never the same but she's much richer Mm. she's much like she had, there's so much more to her now than when she was just being protected and safe and, and in this one place all the time. Mm. So the whole idea, the the point he was trying to make is like, sometimes we've got to make these trips down to Hades, you know, and it's entirely necessary. It's entirely important for us in our, in our evolution, our growth, whatever you want to call it, you know, as human beings. So when you can learn to see that, like, while you're in it, that it's like, you know what, this is, this is all very good somehow, Hmm. even if you can't quite see it yet. Um, you know, uh, I know some interesting characters, you know, some interesting characters, but like, I know, like, uh, sort of like a a medicine man, a healer, a shaman, (laughs) if you will, although they don't like being referred to as a shaman, because that's not their actual cultural background. I digress. (laughs) Um, One of the things they talk about is like when you're when or if you're in a in a dark place, say thank you. Hmm. Just keep saying thank you for it, because there is actually healing going on within that darkness. And if you can learn to say thank you for it, you learn to receive the lesson. Mm. You learn to receive the growth. You learn to let something go to carry on.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that is a, a really important lesson to be, to be thankful in the dark periods. And, you know, uh, it's hard to do when you're in it because, you know, I get it. I mean, I get it. And I've done it, and then I've not done it. Yeah. And I've done it again and not done it. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, it's so hard when you're in it. Because you're like, why the fuck is this happening? Is this ever going to end? Is this Uh, ever going to end? Maybe it won't. And there's this, like, projective kind of, like, future. Like, uh, is this ruined everything? You know, there's all sorts of weird stuff that comes up in the dark times. But there's this saying, I always try to remind myself of it in cinematography, which is. The brighter the light, the darker the shadow. Mm. And so, when you're in the shadow, understand that that's part of what helps the light shine so bright.
1: Yeah. And um, you know, and, and and the shadow never stays in that place. And everything passes. The light, the light will eventually come on to that place of yeah. shadow. You know, and the shadow moves and the shadow shifts. It does. The, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the thing is like there
0: is no permanence to life. There's no permanence, and this is good. I think we're constantly fighting for permanence all the time. We're fighting for control and knowing and
1: immortality.
0: Yes. <laughs> but like the, um, the, 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 change of it is great. And, and, and the thing is, is like, I don't think we should ask for permanence. I think we should ask for evolution, the ability to evolve as things evolve, mm-hmm. not for, Oh, I like it where it is now. Let's let it stay this way forever. Cause I like it. I've made it yeah. to this spot. And now let's just have it stay this way forever. um, you know, part of evolution is part of like, okay, well, well, this great light of wondrous being is here. I also know there will be a time where this will pass and I will go through another darkness. I will visit Hades, so to speak. Yeah. And that will pass and then I will move through. And I think that was, that's kind of an interesting story about how he talks about two days of the week, because I really feel like that's how darkness works. Darkness is more if we aren't suffering about it, if we're Mm -hmm. accepting it and we're being grateful, it's, it's, it's temporary because all darkness really is there to do is really to give context to the light. But if all you have is light, you never know what light is. Like uh, Alan Watts has this great talk about how like, we only know something by the fact that there is something else in contrast. Mm -hmm. Like if, if we don't know the contrast, we don't know it. So the fact that there are other colors are the reason why we know a color, you know? So if you, you know, otherwise, like you pointed out earlier, just be shades, (laughs) right? But color becomes a context of having something else. And so, you know, um, I, I think that we want to be grateful for these moments when we're in, where we're like, this is an amazing moment of life, but not to be so stuck on having it be forever, but to understand that there will be another amazing moment of life, maybe more amazing than the one you're in, but to, um, to understand that you might have to go through a few moments that are not so seemingly amazing, but maybe you can see the amazingness. Maybe you can, I think that's part of wisdom. Wisdom is like, when you're in a really shitty spot and you're like, this is fucking great. I'm so glad I'm here. Cause now like, like I can really appreciate this darkness. Like, yeah, I think that's like, I'm I'm not saying that I've reached my potential of being able to do that, but I've definitely been in, I've had some darker days, like just moments. And I've been like, this is great. I'm like, really like, but I gained perspective. Mm-hmm. but I didn't have perspective before. So before when I was younger, what happened is I'd go through a dark day. I'd be like, Oh, this fucking sucks. I don't want to even get out of bed right now. Yeah. But like I've had dark days where I'm like, you know what? This sounds so stupid, but I'm going to put on some Adele. I'm going to go for a walk at 3am yeah. in the morning. <laughs> yeah. and, and then eventually what happens is I just embrace the shit out of it. And yeah. like, I'm like, I'm tired to listen to sad songs. I want to listen to some upbeat yeah. shit. And then, and it was funny cause like, like there's a graveyard this where I walk, this sounds so weird. Yeah. I'm like walking by a graveyard and I kinda went through the dark period of the walk, and then I was like feeling happy and I'm walking and I was just like so grateful to be alive and I was thinking about all these people who lived. I wasn't solemn about being next to this graveyard. I was like, so like these people lived a life. Like I wonder what their stories were. I was just amazed and fascinated. And like one day I took a walk through the graveyard in the middle of the day. And I just read people's gravestones and I read their stories and I read their histories and their Mm -hmm. families. And I was like, there's so many people that love them and were connected to them and they impacted their lives. And so I could take something seemingly dark and turn it, turn it to bright light. And I think this is the amazing thing about us as human beings, you know, and this is the kind of like, this is the, period in my life where I feel like I'm actually becoming the artist I always wanted to be. Like, I'm just becoming it. It's like, I've been just born into it where it's like, I'm just beginning to see the potential of artistry, you know, like everything up until then up until now has been kind of a, uh, an education, a learning, a struggling against society, a kind of finding myself, Um, detaching from the image of who I thought I was or the identity I thought I was. And now it's kind of like, now I'm in a place where I'm like actually beginning to define myself in the world and on my own terms. And, you know, from a connected, deep, soulful place, you know, and that was kind of the awareness I had earlier today before the podcast was like, you know, I just realized I'm like, yeah, like so much of who I think I am is just based on teachers and parents and friends and coaches and whatnot. And like now, I'm kind of away from all of that. I'm like, but I'm not those things. Those things were who I thought I was because I used to identify myself based on what other people gave me feedback as. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's an important part of that feedback. I don't think you should just deny that, but also I don't think you should over identify with it either. Yeah. So this has been, you know, a wonderful kind of journey. I I'm really glad that we can do this podcast and like I I can personally share and I'm sure, you know, for you too, it's the same, but we can personally share our, our journeys because I think for other artists, part of the value is not just the talk itself, but for them to get to see our evolution as artists, because you can kind of look and go like, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. That's similar to my story. And the more artists I talk to, not, not just artists, but the more people I talk to, the more I find that we're all kind of going through a very similar thing we all kind of get indoctrinated into thinking we're something we're not and, and kind of struggling against that for a period of our life, trying so hard to make it real and make it what we think it's supposed to be until we usually hit a wall and we're like, fuck this shit. This doesn't work.
1: Hit against this wall yeah. so many times. And we kind
0: of abandon it. And then you kind of let go and you come become a little carefree. And it's like, I, you know, um, and everybody does it in their own way. But I think what's what I'm kind of excited about right now is I kind of a, am excited about getting older wisdom wise, but at a younger age, because mm. I feel like it took my grandparents like until they were 60, 70 years old, until they started to be like, fuck this shit. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like 30. I'm like, fuck this shit. I'm just going to do what I want to do. But like, what a gift to yeah. like learn it early. Because now I get so much more life to do that with. And, like, I I remember thinking of my Nana and just, like, certain ways she was and the way she would do and the way she wouldn't care so much about what people thought. And I thought, that's so cool. But she just got to a point kind of where she was like, I'm going to do me. But, like, we just don't know to do it. We don't know how
1: to do it. We want to do it, maybe, but we don't know how. We like the idea of it. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like, how do I do that? Yeah. Yeah, and it takes... It takes some, you know, some questions that might make you a little bit uncomfortable. Right. It takes you going into a little bit of the unknown. Just like, well, who am I really? Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Don't you want to find out? (laughs) And the only way you're going to find
0: out almost is by letting go of who you think you are and then trying something new. Yeah. And then, you know, and and I think the thing that I've learned too through the whole thing is as I do something new is not to, to take so seriously what other people think I am you know, because, you know, some, I think people like labeling, people want to kind of like define you and categorize you because it's like, I, I, they, they want to understand, they want to know. And so it's not necessarily their fault, but just to not take that so seriously, take it sincerely as, as Alan Watts would say, yeah. you know, be sincere about it. It's like, okay, well that's how, you know, you sincerely experience me that way, but that isn't actually who I am. Yeah. But I, I get that that's what I'm giving you. Mm -hmm. you know? And like, um, you know, I think about, uh, I think about friendship and I think about all this stuff and what I have been also learning, I'll just leave this as the last kind of point on this topic, but what I have been learning to do is have the courage to share more across the board with everybody who I fully am. Like the reason why I say this is because my parents and my brothers only saw me a certain way. And then my friends saw me a certain way. And then my relationship saw me a certain way. And my teachers saw me a certain way. And my, my clients saw me a certain way and so on and so on. But I've been finding that as I've been learning the courage to open up and really expose myself and be vulnerable, it's been connecting the whole group. And people have been, who've never saw the other side of me are getting to see a more holistic version of me now. Like my parents never really got to see all the education I've gotten by being curious and going off on my own, you know, and my parents will, will say now they're like, like you, your, your, your wisdom, your, your understanding of psychology is very profound. Like you, you know, you, you could be a personal coach for people, and because I'm personally coaching them sometimes, yeah, and 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 it's interesting because I I was always I've always been the youngest, the little kid, the, yeah. the person who kind of never really had a voice in the family, and now to be the one that's kind of sometimes the guiding light, I'm like, wow, how 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 interesting things have evolved, you know?
1: Well, because oftentimes, like the the youngest one is the one who's kind of on the outside looking in, hmm. which in a weird way, it's like is the one who's kind of the observer who yeah. sees more than people think that they're seeing. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: I mean, it's, it's, a uh, it's, as I say, it's just the beginning. I yeah. feel like it's just the tip of the iceberg. I feel like I'm just beginning to delve into whatever this new discovery of
1: self-awareness, self-expression is. Yeah. Um, in, in yeah. no matter what sort of place you're in Hmm. and, and yeah, I wanted to Just get a little bit back into not not necessarily a lot, just a little bit back into this whole thing of you know when you're in a sort of a dark place, and it was just like you know that really is like we we do it in storytelling all the time, like not even just with our own stories because with our own stories, like you talking, it's like what were like the you know turning points in your life, and it's always a low, it's always a low thing. They tell you about the low thing, and then they tell you about what changed, right? Mm-hmm. And in, in in great stories, great movies, whatever, we have, you know, like, in, and you have it in your in your own patented, like... <laughs> it's great, though. It really is great. Um, like, your, your timeless storytelling, there's the rock-bottom moment. And if you watch any movie, there's a fucking rock-bottom moment. And it's... But it's in that moment that... The person makes a decision where something profound changes in that rock bottom moment. Mm -hmm. Right. And we can say the same things in our, in our own lives. Uh, and then, and then when you were talking about that, it also made me think of, uh, uh, Paul McCartney, famous song, let it be right. Like we're basically saying like, in, in times of trouble, right? Like mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, right? It's like, it's always in like wisdom comes to us in like our darkest moments, like real fricking life changing wisdom Mm. comes to us in our, like in our lowest places. I think that's just so, like, the, the, Like I don't even understand it. Like I don't even, <laughs> I don't really understand it, but there it is. Right. And we call it all sorts of things. We call it, we call it a miracle. We call it grace. We call it like, we call it just wisdom. We call it, um, I don't know. There's all kinds of things people have said, who have talked about these moments, you know, revelatory, mm. um, I don't know what do you want to call it just profound life-changing it's where it happens that's where it all happens it and then really it's does. just like and it suddenly <clears throat> it seems to go from that low point to just suddenly like boom like you're just soaring through the frickin' air yeah like that you know it's just like it was it was to quote another film <laughs> Christopher Nolan the dark knight Harvey Dent says um the dark, the night is always darkest before. Wait, the. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's the beer, Evan. <laughs> um, no, I think said the night is always darkest before the dawn. I think that's just it. Just before the dawn, yeah. or something. So it's like right before the sun comes up is when it's the night is at its darkest. Mm. Is right before the sun comes up. Hmm. Yeah you know, and then suddenly it's like, boom, everything is just like illuminated again. There's a new day.
0: Well, and I think that's, you know, that's the other thing too, is like, we like life is many, many days, many sunrises past, not necessarily like, like, like not necessarily the time of day and and night, but for us, the sun rises and the sun sets. And I think sometimes when we're in the night, we need to embrace the night. I think that's why I've been called so much recently to walk in the night. Like when my Mm. parents divorced and we lost all the money, uh, and, uh, and we were broke and I was living in a trailer park, I used to go walk at night. But like, it's so interesting that at that time is when I started to do that because it was a dark time for the whole family, but I started to embrace the night. Yeah. And I look back and I go, well, no wonder I've been walking recently. And I've been t- tapping into that because I've been embracing the night. I've been embracing the, the, the trials and turbulations I went through as a, as a, as, you know, as a, as a young man, you know, and, and going through that and like, and, and venturing out into the night, walking by graveyard, no less, you know, and, and just doing that and kind of finding myself in the darkness and seeing that I'm okay. Cause I think it's, you know, I think that we are, I think there's a society has been prop, you know, like propaganda, um, has been kind of, in, you know, enforced into us to believe that we need to be happy and we need to be joyful and everything needs to be good and visible and clear. And, and we all need to be in on it together and you can't be alone. And it just, if it doesn't work this way, there's something wrong. And we've all been kind of taught that. And the thing I think I like about walking at night is walking at night for me has been kind of like, I'm alone. I'm with myself that no one else is doing this. As far as I can tell, at least not where I am. And I get to do this venture, this journey. And what I kind of found through it all was that, you know, I've my, a lot of my life has been a buck, the system kind of like challenge society, challenge the status quo. I've always been kind of called to that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's even why I studied social psychology in university, because I wanted to understand how people are socialized because I didn't agree with it. It always seemed kind of ridiculous to me. And it seemed like a trap. It seemed like a jail that we Mm -hmm. all just were indoctrinated to and signed up for without agreeing to. And as I've learned more about it, I'm like, yeah, we haven't agreed to a lot of it. It's just kind of is. And so we just go, this is just the way the world works, but it isn't like gravity sucks me to the ground. I accept that. But like fitting in and wearing like Georgie Armani or whatever the hell it is closed so I can go to this party or whatever the yeah. hell I have to wear. That's bullshit. You know, so I buck the system. I'll wear a dress suit and I'll put on like, you know, canvas sneakers. You know, I'll wear yeah. a T-shirt. You know, I'll, I'll I'll do something to buck the system because I'm like, you know. And what I found is that, you know, and 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 I and I found my people as I do this. You know, you start to find your people who buck the system a little. Yeah. And we challenge the lines, but that's what I think artistry is. We we take society, we go, we meet you where you're at, but we fucking push your boundaries, and we're gonna see how far you're gonna let us go. Yeah. And that's what artistry is. Artistry takes industry and says, I'm going to push you right to the line. And you you know what, if it's too far, I get fucking fired. It's over, but I'm going to find that line. That's what artistry is
1: to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's about like, it's, and it's about perspective too. Right. You know, it's like about finding this, this thing, you know, like a way of seeing it. It's just like, yeah, we all know this, but it's like, have you seen it from here? Right. And you can go, Whoa, Holy shit. You know? And it's like, can be part of like, I think that's, that's where, um, comedians almost have the most direct route. I think it's stuff like that. Like, especially with like societal stuff being direct, that's where they become like extraordinary artists is finding humor and finding comedy and pointing out the absurdity. Right. Uh, because to me, like that was something I learned within this last year of like, comedy is all about the abs- uh, about the absurdity of life hmm. it's about the absurdity of our social structures it's about the absurdity of the of the stories that we tell ourselves it's about finding an angle on something to be go like isn't this fucking ridiculous and we go holy shit it's totally fucking ridiculous oh my god right and that's Extraordinary people don't often think of comedy in this way, but it's like comedy can transform people. Mm. Comedy can can make people think in a new way. Comedy can make people let things go. It can be a cathartic experience seeing a truly great comic. You know, there's a reason why people still talk about George Carlin and Richard Pryor. Yeah, you know, like there's a reason why people talk about them. It's because they challenge people right and made them laugh at the same time right and it was about bucking the system it's like look at this bullshit look at this bullshit don't you think this is bullshit and they do it in such a way you're like oh my god it's bullshit because they're actually giving you wisdom they've discovered these wisdoms and it's isn't it strange maybe not so strange but so many comedians (laughs) are so so many comedians come from such troubled backgrounds you know like so many funny people have had such tragic stories right in their lives they're so troubled right but they found all kinds of amazing wisdom by having gone through that right and then they kind of make make it comedy and they share it with people and give people a new understanding of something
0: Well, to do a touchback on what you said earlier. You were talking about being an entertainer. If you just want to be an entertainer, it's fine. There's no judgment. You know, if you like listening to the show and you're kind of just beginning to tap into your artistry and you're maybe going, I'm not really an artist, you know, whatever. It's fine. But I think some people just want to entertain and they get a certain joy out of that. And they're not here to change the world. They're not thinking about that. They don't care about that. It's fine. You don't have to. It's not like you're a good person, bad person. You don't do that. I think what ends up happening is eventually we dig and we find our call. And then you decide to answer it or not. And maybe your call is simply, I don't think everybody's journey is the same either. I don't think everybody's called to do the same thing. So whatever your calling is, do that. But I think if you look down deep inside, you begin to find what it is. And you know, when you're being inauthentic to your voice, when you're not honoring your voice. And I think like, if you've been an entertainer your whole life, and you've been finding an emptiness in your in your thing, that might be a call to say, Hey, maybe I want to get a little bit more of my entertaining. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to point out was what you were saying is like, Carlin takes profound things and makes them entertaining, which makes them like taking your medicine, but with syrup or honey. Yeah. He makes it easy for you to take in a profound idea. Same with like, CK Lewis and like, you know, Louis CK, I mean, sorry, I always say it backwards. (laughs) Louis CK and and some of these other people, you know, like they, they give you something that can actually kind of change and shift you, Yeah. but
1: they do it in a way where it's
0: easy to digest.
1: Because sometimes it's just too hard to digest. You can see that they're so connected to something, right? That's why they're artists, right? That's where they, they become artists, you know? And, and I think you know, if you really are passionate, even if you start out as a passionate entertainer, I feel like if you, if, the longer you're at it, and the further you go with it, you're eventually going to become an artist, right. because that is like if you want to be a great entertainer, you eventually have to become an artist to be truly great. Well, there is an art to entertainment in and of itself in and of itself. And you start to go, what, like, well, what is funny? And then you start to like, or what is, you know, like what is really going to impact people? And then you start to have to, in order to realize to do that, you have to realize that you have to have a connection to yourself. You have to have a connection to what you want to do. Yeah. And then suddenly you start finding all of the shit that we're talking about on these podcasts right? The stuff that we try and explore and shed some light on. And that is suddenly now part of your work. Cause I mean, you watch somebody like George Carlin and, 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 um, and prior, and you just go like, holy, there's like, there is such a, like in as sort of like frivolous as it is for some of like their, their comedy and their jokes. There's also this incredible sense of urgency that's in, in like, especially like when I think of, of Carlin, who's my favorite of all time, like you watch him up there and he's, and he's on this joke, but it's like brilliant. Like he's, he's like poking holes into some subject matter all over the place. He's just like, boom, 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 boom. Like he's just letting light in on this thing. And he's up there like just like performing, but he's so passionate. Yeah. But what's going on that you're just like, holy shit. Like this, this is coming from somewhere so deep. It's coming from not only his sort of his, like comedy is just sort of his vehicle for him to express, for him to communicate ideas. Right. It just makes people laugh doing it. So he, he honors a a certain like a certain aspect of comedy. It's like, I've got to make people laugh, right? I've got to make this funny. I've got to have sensibilities about it like that. But they're all just carrying the, these concepts and these ideas and these wisdoms and these discoveries that he had. Right. And, but that's really what's driving the whole thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's really cool. It's
0: kind of like when someone does it, it's kind of like magic. Oh yeah. So I wanted to share this quote because It's out of context. Okay. So I just want to preemptively say this (laughs) it's out of context. It's from my, I think a book it's out of context, but I don't think that people like are forever not magic. And sometimes they are, and some people are like, some people are special, but temporarily some people tap into their magic and some people only create the illusion of trying to look magical. Mm. right and, yeah. and and so that's the thing that i want to point out when you look at carlin he seems magical because he's dialed in to like something really
1: truthful at the core. There's right? another one of those terms. Yeah. That dialed in. Dialed yeah. in. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> He's dialed in. So he seems magical. You look at like Louis CK, he seems magical. And then he gets greatly rewarded for it because when you tap into your magic, you know, when you tap into that.
1: Tapped in. Yeah. <laughs> dialed in, dialed tapped in, in, tapped in. The yeah. language that we have for this stuff. Right. Is fucking fascinating in itself. It boys. is. What it kind of points to. Right. So I, I, I'm, I'm, pretty Read sure, this I quote, yeah. I'm pretty
0: sure this is a book. Um, I, th- it could be a poem. I don't know, but it's called the turn and the trick and it's by, uh, about Bo, uh, Taplin or whatever. Uh, it's a, in a, and again, keep it in context, but some people are magic and others are just the illusion of it is one of the quotes in it. Mm. And I just think that's like kind of where we, we struggle as artists. We, we, we want to be magic. I think we want to have that magical effect. We want to be magicians because we've seen
1: magical people. We've seen
0: people do it. And that's what inspired us to do it. Yeah. But like, sometimes we get caught up in being the illusion. And so I, when I hear that quote, I'm like, you know, don't on what they did. Right. Don't be the illusion of magic find your own magic. And that's, and that's about kind of yeah. tapping in, dialing in, you know, getting in the zone, whatever, losing
1: yourself, <laughs> diving, diving into <laughs> the unknown. Yeah. Man. It's all in the unknown. Your magic is where it's the unknown. I mean, the thing is, is like the unknown that's in you. Yeah. I was watching yeah. a guy do card
0: tricks the other day and at a certain, his, his initial stuff, I totally knew his card tricks. They were no magic to me at all. Yeah. I was like, I know exactly what you're doing. I know how to do that trick. In fact, Yeah. I mean, you're craft, you're good at it. Don't get me wrong. Like you practice the skill of hiding
1: the the piece. You're better at it than I am at it. But I know
0: what you're doing and it's not very magical. But then he did this thing, which I don't know how the fuck he did. And I was like, whoa, that's magic. Because now you're doing something that's in the unknown, right? And it's such a good example of like, you know, you're right. Like that's what we have to do. We have to venture into our unknown to find our magic. Yeah. But we don't even know what it is. You know, like that's the thing about artistry is it's not so, I don't know if it's so like, like, I think a magician has a sleight of hand in the practice, but I think as like artists, I, and, and as an athlete, I can say this, like I remember practicing stick handling and skating like so much hours and hours, like just never stopping, like almost never getting off the ice, never putting it on the stick. Yeah. And there was moments where I would stick handle and dodge and deke through people and, and it was, incredible, um, experience to have because in a certain way, I don't know how I did it, yeah. but it was all my practice kind of accumulated. And I think with artistry, it's a little bit like that too. Like we practice, 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 we discipline, we do it all. And then there'll be a moment where you kind of let go. And all of a sudden, all of that work you've put in just kind of happens, Yeah, but it's not like, I think that I don't wanna negate the fact that people put the effort in. Like people practice and they build the skill, you know? And I think when it happens though, you almost are functioning on a bit of a subconscious autopilot, you know? It's kind of like the the subconscious brain here now is taking over. Yeah and I'm not gonna stop it, I'm just gonna let it run and the conscious is just trying to keep up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Kinda
0: like what you brought up with the talk in the beginning. Yeah. Which, um, it seems like we've come full circle. I feel we've come full circle. I feel it's time to end this, this bad boy.
1: So, uh, what, what is your, uh, sort of takeaway from this? What is, how, how are you going to, is there anything about this conversation that you can integrate into your life? Hmm. Well, there's been, there's
0: been a lot of wonderful things we've talked about. I mean, uh, I think, um, oh man I don't even know dude I like you know, I'm just like it was, was this this was a pretty this was a pretty wild one it was a wild one I mean I think the thing that maybe uh maybe I'll I'll try to do uh, going forward and and maybe attempt is um oh uh,
1: you know what I don't know do you got something <laughs> I got something okay you I go first go. maybe I can um, come up with something after for me like because I I try and make it as like practical and like usable as possible okay is um i'm going to i'm going to say thank you more that was something that stood out to me in all this is is um you know like when when it's hard times (laughs) when things are tough is to say thank you because it's in, in terms of what we were talking about. And as far as the unknown, I mean, what better sort of act of embrace of the unknown in some ways could you make? Because when you're in dark times, you don't really understand why. Mm. There's so much it doesn't make sense. There's so much of you that's resisting it and fighting it. So I'm going to start saying thank you for these things, even when I don't know what it's for. Mm. When I don't know why these things are happening is just I'm going to start saying thank you. I'm going to say thank you for these things. Um, because that's where the wisdom comes in. That's where the, where the greatest growth is going to happen. So I'm just going to, I think it's, and it's also just a way of shifting my perspective on things that are happening wherever I'm at, where, when things are good, when things are bad, just keep saying, thank you right? Cause even the whole thing of good and bad, it's a judgment on my part, right? Sure. Because I think part of what that whole part of the, the discussion on, on, you know, the, the darkness on, you know, Hades on going to, when you're in, in these situations is that if that's where the, some of the, like your greatest growth and wisdom is coming from, or if that's the catalyst to it at the very least, then I should be thankful for it. Hmm. I should be grateful for it. Even if I don't understand why. So Hmm. yeah, I'm going to say thank you.
0: I like it. I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to just second you because I I am kind of riding a a wonderful wave right now in my life of this kind of being inspired and motivated and like performing at a level that, you know, I wish I could be at a hundred percent of the time. So I think right now I'm going to actually be in the practice of being grateful for this moment in my life and also, um, appreciate the fact that the darker, more difficult times are what helped me to be here. Yeah. And so, um, naturally I think, Um, I can foresee that I will probably go through some more moments of trial and tribulation as I go forward into this adventure. But I, 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 the big lesson I think that I've been learning and it's kind of not necessarily in this talk, but it's an extension of what you said, which is that I'm going to be grateful for the obstacles that come up in my life. Someone said to me the other day, they said, you know, obstacles are where only obstacles are where opportunity exists. Yeah. Opportunity doesn't exist outside of an obstacle you need first an obstacle before an opportunity can exist so i'm going to start being grateful for whenever i see an obstacle and instead of running away from it or avoiding it or being annoyed at it i'm going to go towards it i'm going to thank it and i'm going to expectantly look that there is an opportunity that's supposed to come out of this because i do believe that that's so yeah and i think what this talk has really kind of helped me see is how much that is the case yeah um, and I know we didn't talk about that a lot directly, yeah. but I'm going to literally leave this talk, look for obstacles in my life and thank them as you kind of pointed out yeah. and, uh, and then see where the opportunity might take me. I think that's yeah. kind of a cool way to
1: go. Yeah. You know, just to, to add on to that. Sure. I've, I've, I don't remember where I read it, but it was, it was another perception thing. It's like, look at your, ob- your obstacles are actually stepping stones hmm at someone that's in front of you they're actually your stepping stones. they're actually the thing that's going to carry you across. Right.
0: Okay, so that's what I'm doing. you sold me. All right I was already sold but you, you, you resold me. yeah <laughs> I'll <exactly>. pay double. <laughs> All Thank, <right>. you. <laughs> Thank you. All right everybody take your obstacles be thankful be grateful wherever you are in life. you know let's just be grateful to be alive and that we're these beings of light and we can do anything we want.